Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the inaugural episode of Still Updating. Recently, I've been interested in how the latest wave of AI innovation is impacting the back office. That is, finance teams, legal teams, HR teams, and so on. People in those sorts of roles are entrusted to make high-stakes decisions with little tolerance for error. Now, anyone who's given ChatGPT a try knows that making errors is kind of something that AI does a lot of. And yet, some AI applications in the back office are getting real results. In today's episode, I sit down with Isaac Heller, who's the co-founder of Trulion, an AI-powered platform that automates manual work for finance and audit teams. We talk about some of the challenges that face finance teams and how AI fits into the picture as part of the solution. We also got some great nuggets of wisdom for CFOs navigating the current tech landscape, as well as entrepreneurs looking to leverage AI to build their own products. I learned a lot from Isaac, and I think you will too. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Hello, and welcome to Still Updating. This show is an open-ended exploration about data, AI, and how modern businesses are using technology to compete in the marketplace. Still Updating is brought to you by Endeavor Labs. By no coincidence, I, Nathan Gould, am both the founder of Endeavor Labs and the host of this podcast. Endeavor Labs is a data and AI-focused consultancy that helps businesses become smarter, faster, and leaner by leveling up their data game. With that said, let's get to the show. All right, so we're live, and today we're joined by Isaac Keller, who is the CEO and founder of Trulion. So, Isaac, I invited you on because on this podcast, we're interested in dissecting how technology and AI are creating measurable value for companies in 2023. And you and your team are on the front lines doing just that with a focus on finance and accounting. So I'm excited to dig in and get your perspective from building Trulion and your thoughts on how modern finance teams should be thinking about leveraging technology. So with that said, I'd love to turn it over to you for just a general intro and hopefully you can touch on your journey to starting and building Trulion. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for having me, Nathan. It's good to see you. I'm sure we could talk uh, forever about AI, but just you know, a few nuggets. Um, I'm from Texas originally. I uh, spent many years in what you would call corporate America, as what many people call op- an operator, right? Various uh, you know front office roles. I I did an MBA in in Dallas, and I actually fell in love with accounting uh, and got really into GAAP and IFRS. And then I took a corporate role in a pre-IPO technology company. And my introduction to accounting was uh, running around a big organization, getting uh, compliant with revenue recognition and revenue accounting, which involves reading a bunch of documents and building these macro spreadsheet models. And everything was outside of the, the traditional ERP. And the advisory and the audit firms were spending so much more time having to reconcile everything. Uh, and at the end of the day, I just felt like there was this, these new accounting rules that came in from above, but I was actually on the ground doing the work and there was just more cost and risk in the ecosystem. So it was almost a paradox. Through a couple stops later in my career, I ran into some other accounting changes such, such as lease accounting. In about 2019, I was introduced to something called AI. And this was really through the AWS and Google Cloud ecosystems when they were re- releasing the early NLP models. And having uh, experienced so much pain and a little bit of confusion in these accounting and financing processes, I just felt like AI would be a, a very powerful enabler, equalizer for the accounting industry. So essentially what, what Trulian has managed to do is leverage AI to help ingest unstructured data, whether it's documents or systems. That's number one. And then number two automate uh, business logic. Uh, In the case of accounting, this is creating financial reports, what you would call debits and credits, and disclosure reporting. And so if you take AI 
to bring all the data in, and then you add the business logic. What's really cool is that gives you a more enriched and 360-degree data set. So if you work with your auditors or diligence providers, they can actually come into Trulian as a more rich source of truth because it has both the inputs and the outputs in one. Um, Just in terms of the company, uh, I have a partner who does uh, a lot of the AI uh, and CTO work, uh, Mir Boldo, co-founder. I'm in Tel Aviv today. We're a global company. Started in, in uh, the brainchild was in New York. And then kind of the, the ultimate company has spanned to Tel Aviv, where we have over 40 people today. We also have a New York office as well. And that's it. We've had you know, some, some nice funding and we've built out a platform now with multiple modules. And it's a really exciting time to be at the intersection of AI and accounting. Cool. And j- just a quick question about your entrepreneurial journey. So you came from the accounting side without a background in AI. Curious to hear how you went from kind of the seed of an idea that this was a problem space that could be tackled with AI to actually having confidence to go and start a company around that concept. Yeah, well, I never had the true confidence to start a company. It happened very organically. So I didn't, I didn't wake up and decide to do it. It kind of uh, found me. And you know, I think you start with something basic, which is validating a product ID through the minimum viable, not product, but uh, let's call it action. And for me, that was creating seven or eight screens of the workflow that I thought would be really interesting within the product. And once you can put that into a 30-second or one-minute video, uh, in in my case, uh, I started to show it to potential customers, which were chief accounting officers and CFOs. And then eventually, once we got enough validation, showed a few investors, I learned what angel investing was, then was actually able to meet, you know, qualified engineers to go build the product. So that was really the starting point. It sounds simple in retrospect, but it's a series of multi-month or multi-year uh, iteration to get it right. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, congrats on the, the progress so far. Thank you. So I guess next question is, what is a typical customer's journey towards buying Trulion? Kind of where are they in when you meet them and what's the, what's the value proposition or problem that they're trying to achieve? Yeah, definitely. So let's let's zoom out a little. In the accounting world, there's two major tranches of accounting software and automation. The first is what you would think of as SMB accounting, QuickBooks and the likes. That's a highly transactional, you know, monthly kind of SMB space. And then there's a upmarket and enterprise, which is not just transactions, but also audit. So staying compliant with GAAP and IFRS and the reporting. So we play in that space, that upmarket. We're going to get you compliant with those standards. To, just to be clear, Trulian is a plat- an AI-powered accounting platform. We have to sell in a modular basis. So we sell things like automated revenue recognition and revenue accounting. We sell things like automated lease accounting. We sell things like automated audit workflows and audit prep workflows. And so the customers that come to us are corporate controllers, chief accounting officers, in some cases, CFOs, and they're spending a lot of time and money to get compliant with these standards. And they might be doing it in spreadsheets or custom systems or really just offline internally. And they hear about Trulian and they say, wow, this sounds like it could not just save me some money, but actually make it more accurate and efficient. Uh, they find us online. They find us through our partner network. As you know, there's a lot of great audit and advisory firms. They refer their clients to Trulian. In terms of the buying journey, they do a couple demos and uh, hopefully become a customer. Got it. 
So then after the sale, how do you know, because I think a lot of a lot of companies as they're evaluating AI powered software or software in general want to know, like, how do I know this is going to be successful? Like, what does a good ROI look like in practice? How do you think about that, both from the perspective of the customer and also, you know, measuring adoption and traction and success of, of your product itself? Yeah, definitely. Well, there, there's different categories of, of AI. So just, just to clarify, you know, on one end of the spectrum, you might have open sourced LLMs, which is, I, I, you know, as you know better than I do, like data scientists looking for the latest and greatest to embed in their application or internally, whatever it is. We fall on the other end of the spectrum, which is an AI-powered application. So a lot of our emphasis is on the application layer and AI just becomes a, a supercharger, a component or an augmentation. And what that means is when people are coming to us, they're not coming for the AI powered, they're coming for the accounting automation. And that means they have a genuine pain, genuine spend, uh, you know, time spent on the area that we're looking to automate. The AI powered part is helping them incrementally do it better, making, maybe making it easier, more comfortable for them to switch. But in reality, these are accountants that are buying an option on the future. They're saying, okay, truly, and you can solve my pain today, which is essentially automation. The AI might be 5 or 10% of the value proposition. But I know that I want to partner with a vendor that's releasing new modules and is an AI native company. So that's really where it comes in with us. Got it, got it. Is this something you're able to put numbers to? Like if I'm a CFO, do I have like a, a spreadsheet in front of me that's like where I'm able to sort of see what the you know, before and after looks like in terms of uh, overall cost? Yeah, definitely. So just as a as an easy to represent example, one of the things we do among all the AI is NLP. So document extraction, automation, whether it's a sales or a lease contract. And so that might take a couple hours to analyze or read. And it might take a couple minutes with Trulian, right? And it still allows okay. you to review that workflow. There are other applications of AI where you might have a tough time calculating an interest rate or... Uh, calculate doing a pricing analysis, and we can leverage AI in a more data science environment to help automate that process. Got it, got it, cool. So let's see, turning our attention to the tech a bit, I'm curious to understand, you know, what do you actually have under the hood in terms of AI? Is this all like cloud APIs? Do you have any any custom stuff? And then I think maybe we could get a little bit into what what does the team itself look like and how are you, you know, from the outside, it's it's hard to tell like what's actually what yeah. the you know what's actually powering the thing. So curious to yeah get it inside the engine a little bit. Well, I so first of all the the people that really you know build the engine is my partner Amir uh, on his team Shlomo. We have an AI team lead and a group of you know four or five amazing people that actually you know build this stuff. Uh, I do the demos, I guess you could say. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you know. One thing to understand about AI as an application layer, we're, we're a vertical SaaS company in the accounting and, and audit yeah. vertical. And so when we think about AI, there are use cases that we have under the hood, but also we're just jumping in to the space and we're, we're building our customer relationships through that initial module, but we're actually sitting closely with them and working on broader applications. And the reason I say that is because AI, at least in the accounting space, is really in its infancy. And so this is going to develop and accelerate over the years. Now, what are we doing today in terms of under the hood? 
a lot of NLP use cases. So I'll give you one example. You have a bunch of lease contracts. We can normalize and aggregate all those different contracts, extract the relevant data for accounting and financial purposes. In many cases, automatically populate that data into the workflow. And in other cases, allow you to review it for an approval. We don't spend all of our money building those models in a proprietary way, right? We may take off-the-shelf models to do best of breed in terms of NLP and entity extraction. What we do have in a proprietary way is how we do pre-processing and post-processing and other aspects of the data. So again, LLMs, as you can see, are now accessible by your you know, teenage daughter or whatever it is. We are just taking those off the shelf and then we're automating or doing proprietary things in terms of getting the data ready, whether it's OCR, formatting, and then post-processing, which might be actually tagging a lot of the data in the workflow. That's NLP. We can jump into some other use cases that are more data science related, but there's pockets of these in each of our workflows. Got it, got it, okay. How about the, the engineering team? How big is it? How many folks on the team are actually specialized on like data science or, or yeah, machine learning? Yeah, it's, it's about 20 people, amazing, uh, in Tel Aviv. And there's about five that are focused on AI and data science. Okay, that's actually quite a bit. So that's must not all be people sort of hitting cloud APIs, but some people probably doing some sort of training or, or fine tuning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I don't know if that, that's big or small. Uh, you know, it's all relative. But again, yeah, we, sure. we, we think, you know, the, the way to think about it as application softwares, I mean, what you're hearing today, if you're in the, the startup world, is you're hearing investors say, hey, how are you guys going to add AI to your platform? How are you guys going to use AI? Now, these are companies that existed as an application software, and then all of a sudden they have to layer on AI. We've been doing this for three or four years, but our strategy has been the same as what they're saying today, mm-hmm. which is uh, focus the company on the business value and the business application layer. There's so much, it's kind of trending towards commoditization where kind of like AWS and GCP, like you're going to have all these amazing LLMs and, and tools within the AI, focus on the business application layers. So. The, the, you know, our, our AI and data science engineer, they're working closely on, on practical use cases from our customers and within our team. And, you know, it's, uh, it's not like we're taking on big open AI level projects within the accounting space. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. And by the way, that's, that was one of the reasons I reached out to you. I was like, you know, all these companies are jumping into AI all of a sudden, but like there's lots of people who have been just sort of, you know, cleverly doing it for, for quite a while. So... That's cool that you've figured out how to sort of leverage it from the beginning. I am curious to ask because, you know, when AI gets discussed these days, often uh, sort of a common mantra that comes up is like, you know, it's best for use cases where you sort of have a tolerance of, you know, 90, 95% accuracy and you don't want to rely on it 100%. I'm sure you get that pushback uh, in sales calls. How do you address it and how does the product actually handle cases where, you know, the, the predictive aspect is not 100% accurate. Yeah, definitely. Well, it's, it's manufactured that way, right? So if you think about the NLP use case, we're not making the decision as to what the document says. We're providing a suggestion that you can then deny or approve. So uh, accountants and auditors in, in our space, more the, the corporate space, they're very accustomed to workflows and approvals, right? And, and needing an extra layer of review to get comfortable. And we don't really change that. So number one, 95% is great for us because 
we're having our customers validate that, you know, last 5% or really all of it, right? So that just saves them the time that it would have taken to get that initial look at it. I should also say that, you know, if you look at autonomous driving as an extreme example, they might be at 99 or 99.9%, but these are life and death situations. And so it's much harder to justify AI when it comes down to it and all the legislation and optics and everything like that. In the accounting industry, there definitely needs to be a high level of accuracy. But because there's so much human error right now, as it relates to you know fraud in some of the biggest companies or SVB, as it relates to some of the more, hey, we did everything right, but it still got messed up, that there is... There's enough um, motivation to say, hey, 95 to 99% with an additional layer of human expertise is really, really good for our industry. Got it. Got it. So your work so far at Trillion has been focused on this lease accounting use case. And you mentioned kind of sitting in the trenches with your customers on kind of expanding to new use cases. Curious to hear more about kind of where you see the future of Trillion going and what in the accounting and audit sphere is is automatable with the technology that's out there today? Yeah, definitely. So we essentially have one persona, but two different sides of the coin. Our first side is the corporate controller, who is called the internal accountant. And then our second side is the auditor, who's the external accountant. But ultimately, those two parties are working together to validate that the financials are accurate. So we started with lease accounting and revenue recognition. Lease accounting and revenue recognition are two new GAAP and IFRS international standards that have come in and asked for a much more granular layer of data with a lot more sources and more complexity in terms of how you recognize revenue and lease accounting, which we can get into. That's, that's modules number one and two. The second is related to the audit workflow, which looks at things like revenue, leases, HR data, taxes, and essentially does a lot of matching and analysis to make sure that source data matches what you say that you have. So those are, those are our three modules. The common theme of those is the fact that accounting is the deepest level of data, let's call it components, that you can ask for. Right. So accountants are going not just to this atomic, but subatomic level and said, says, hey, you got a hundred dollar customer. How many products did you sell? Two. OK. How do you allocate those two products? Oh, 40, 60. Really? Because in that other deal, you allocated at 70, 30, the opposite. Right. Oh, there's a service. OK. That's a third component. Wait a minute. You're not, they're going to pay you 50% up front and then 50% upon delivery. And so they start breaking it down into all of these very, very small components. For truly, and that becomes really valuable because the ERPs like NetSuite Workday, they're not built at that subatomic level. So we can build at that highly granular level from a data perspective. That's number one, right? And then the other thing they're saying is they're like, well, that data needs to come from the billing system. That data needs to come from the CRM. And that data actually needs to be validated against those bespoke contracts that you, you know, sign. So that's the second component is the AI layer, right? So the AI just normalizes those three areas. Sometimes it's just open APIs. Sometimes it's only AI. And sometimes it's a combination of both, right? So you've got You've got that subatomic level, you've got the AI layer, and that actually starts to build a better infrastructure for accounting and financial software. 
So all the insights that are happening up here that are triggering off the ERP or the CRM would actually be better served if they were built off a, a highly granular level of data that can cross multiple sources, then you can actually have like a more efficient infrastructure and, and level of insight into your financial data. So, so truly, and we, we, you know, we have to provide business value. We can't just create this like magic one platform and compete with Oracle and SAP or whatever you want to say. We have to start with these workflows that are specific pain points today. And the underlying technology starts to give you access to that early financial platform. That's super interesting. So it sounds like you sort of see, maybe not you're not there today or tomorrow, but you sort of see this idea where in the future, there's kind of room for one system that, that bridges some of the functionality that you would see in a, an ERP, CRM, and a, accounting platform today. Is that kind of a fair characterization? Yeah, to, to some extent. Uh, we call it a single source of truth. Um, and, and it's just a, a blip in this industry. You know, we could be right, we could be wrong, we could run out of time. But Essentially, accounting going back several decades was always the most kind of respected and refined version of a, of financial knowledge, yeah. right? It, I, I, at the risk of offending someone, it used to be a lot cooler to be a CPA, right? Mm-hmm. To, to be an accountant or lawyer or doctor. Now, accountants kind of uh, you know to the side. Uh, but in reality, that was a really, really powerful quantitative position that was the finance financial expert. Over time, as new metrics came in, so ARR, TCV, things that gap and accounting doesn't really uh, follow, there became this tower called the finance guys and the FP&A guys and you know, Mr. Strategic Finance. And those guys or gals became much better at integrating with systems and, and tracking ARR and TCV. And they were uninhibited from the complexity of gap accounting. And so then gap got moved, accountants got moved almost as a post-finance reconciliation process. Oh, go check the box. We already did our you know, forecasting and planning. But in reality, the level that they go to uh, of data due to gap, due to IFRS, is actually much better infrastructure to build off of. There's just so much compliance that I believe they have to keep up with and we have to keep up with to get to that strategic level with the data that you're analyzing. Okay, very interesting. Yeah, sidebar, I've dealt with a lot of projects that involve pulling like, you know, NetSuite or Salesforce data into a a data warehouse and kind of, you know, mashing them up for the finance team. And I've always kind of been curious how exactly does that relate? Like, why are we doing this twice? Why, why are we doing this in the in the data warehouse and then doing it again, like in NetSuite or in in QuickBooks or something like that? So uh, this is adding adding some understanding to what I've got. Yeah, definitely. We ask the same question, you know, every day, right? Yeah. But it's getting better. I mean, finance finance and accounting professionals they've always been ahead of the curve. You know, people trash Excel a lot, but it's actually a really powerful piece of software. And really good Excel users are incredibly tech forward and, you know, incredible quantitative minds. And so they just have a very high standard for adopting new software and new tools. But when they see it, you know, they, they jump in, right? They're number data native people. Yeah. So given that we're not in this, you know, beautiful future where there's a single source of truth for, for finance right. and for all these things, how do you think about integration? you sort of land at a new company and they, they have what systems they have and what processes they have. 
what do you have to kind of make seamless for the customer so they get value out of Trillion? Yeah. Well, I, I think to your point, there is an existing infrastructure. So what, what an AI-powered financial platform looks like is likely what you would call a system of intelligence. And it sits over all of the financial systems and data points that have data. So the ERP stays there, and the ERP is your transactional control point, AP, AR, GL, everything. But there's all these what's called sub-ledgers, right? Whether it's equity or HR, leases or revenue or whatever. So those should be aggregated easily. And then also there's a lot of unstructured data. Like uh, people don't realize this, but the highly audited point, uh, data points are the contracts, they are the debt agreements, they are the, the, the highly structured items. And so in reality, if you have a layer that can be just data and source agnostic and bring all those into one layer, then that you know, truly in that system of intelligence would, would solve a lot of the problems and challenges that you have there. So I don't think these systems go away. We do try to, when we install these modules, we, we do try to use these modules and these workflows to provide you more business value because otherwise we just end up being a BI tool, which is a whole nother story. You know, it's, it's pretty hard to sell and to unlock value as a BI tool. Yeah, for sure. Slightly different topic. Do you ever see finance teams that you're talking to thinking about building things in-house to deal with some of these challenges? Yeah, definitely. And we just had a we just had a CFO roundtable uh, with Deloitte and Graycroft in Los Angeles, and this was one of the big questions. It's always going to uh, be correlated with the size of the finance team and the size of the company. So if yeah. you're talking to a public company, you may have finance reaching over the aisle to three or four engineers to build them a, a model, right? I met a uh, I met a very talented uh, founder in the New York area. And he, because he was the top engineer at DoorDash, uh, they had put him on a NetSuite integration project, like an internal system. So like you definitely have this idea. I think, I think and I hope that most CFOs and finance teams realize that it's very, very hard and highly unscalable to build things internally. I know that there's always a new wave of like, well, hey, now that cloud came out, I could do this easier. And hey, now that AI came out, I could do this easier. So far, I've not seen them making the same mistake twice, uh, but we'll see. You know, yeah. everyone's everyone's using ChatGPT in their job. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. People are getting creative, and I think it's probably leading to some interesting conversations and some some folly, <laughs> I would guess. Yep. So, are there any cases where you would say actually, you know? A company because what it's doing is unique enough, it actually does make sense for them to have sort of internal AI powered finance technology or finance and accounting, I should say. Yes, yeah, cer- certainly. Like, again, having been inside a big public technology company, we were, we were Sabre, we were an airline uh, vertical SaaS company. You sometimes want to have IP in-house if you're dealing with very sensitive data. So there might be financial services companies that are doing all these credit and risk scoring. They might have proprietary algorithms and whole data science teams. So they, they might build internally. Again, I think it's going to correlate with scale. I can't think of another scenario where you would want to have it internally. There's just, you know, time and time again, you know, you take you take uh, the big four in the services model. The big four has long talked about building technology. 
um, and investing in technology. And PwC announced a $1 billion investment in OpenAI. We partner with the big four. We love the big four. But every time we talk to the auditors and the advisors that are coming through the big four, they're saying, look, uh, we've never really seen the tech or we don't use it or they come out with it and we don't use it. So um, people will continue to try. I'm just I'm just not sure if it's the best idea. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, yeah, okay. So here's one is that if you're, I'm wondering if you have any advice sort of backing up from Trillion and looking more at the kind of broader landscape of finance and accounting technology with or without AI. And I, I personally don't know if Trillion has competitors or if you think of the landscape that way, but you know, if you're a CFO just kind of wanting to make your organization leaner and meaner and take advantage of, of the latest, what are, what's the sort of quick framework for how you can think about that? Like, you know, what, what are the areas that you could automate or, or sort of get to the next level using technology and where should you start thinking about that? Yeah, definitely. So I think like, you know, there's there's just been SaaS proliferation right now. And there's probably, to be honest, more SaaS companies than will actually end up fitting in these existing markets when they get to scale and the venture money kind of cools off. Uh, I happen to think that CFOs are pretty well saturated in terms of knowing what the latest and greatest mature SaaS tools within the organization are. So that being said, I generally think you know, if there's a next-gen ERP or next-gen FP&A tool or just even moving to the cloud in some areas, it's either on their roadmap or they're doing it. And all the marketing that's happening is just trying to poke them to move a little bit faster. So let's not go into that for a second, right? Another component, every CFO knows that they spend on their team, spends too much time in spreadsheets. You hear that a lot. That's not necessarily the bad, a bad thing. Like if it works, it works. And obviously, if there are alternatives, they would be assessing those. CFOs are very, very cost effective. They're very, I would assume, shrewd when it comes to making, you know, inter- build versus buy types type decisions. What I think gets interesting, and I will relate it back to AI, is when you start to see these generational um, tools, you know, or, or, or let's call it... Um, generational technologies like AI, you as a CFO need to buy some optionality on that type of tool. So if you need to buy an expense management tool and number one has AI and number one doesn't have AI and you're pretty sure they're similar or maybe the AI is slightly worse, I would invest in the AI tool. Why? Because number one, that tells you that that's a tech forward company. And number two, the compounding effects of what AI is likely to do in that area is something that you can really benefit from instead of having to figure it out three or five years later when you, when you switch. Further, you know, these, these AI companies, especially if they're funded, if you look at the public markets, the excitement and the investment is going into AI-enabled tools that might be bad one day if a bubble bursts. But for now, that means that those companies are going to be much healthier and robust in terms of investment and innovation. And so my, my advice is to buy optionality on these companies that have an AI native uh, DNA. Yeah, I, I love as a, as a term, buy, buy optionality. And also, I tell my clients the same thing. I'm like, all this money is going into the AI tools. You should just like be working with some of them so that you can like, benefit from, uh, from yeah. some of that, that capital. Uh, I was sort of like, you know, ordering Uber in 2013, like heavily subsidized and, you know, why not take that over a taxi? Right. And then you could just delete cool. the app when it gets too expensive. <laughs> yeah, right. 
All right. Well, this has been super interesting and informative. So uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. I'm curious to know if you have, have any last minute things you want to bring up or, or plug things going on at Trillion. No, truly an AI-powered accounting. Trulian stands for truth in millions. So we're really trying to bring a higher level of automation and transparency into the space. T-R-U-L-L-I-O-N. You can go check us out, give us a call, whatever. You know, just, just parting thoughts. It's more for the entrepreneurs out there, right? Everyone's talking about how 2023 is a, is a tougher market. Uh, just a reminder that 2023 is a normal market, right? And, and 2020, 2021 and 2022 were a bit of of wild markets. So, you know, buckle up, don't rely on cheap money and focus on innovation and product development and just pleasing your customers. And yeah, you know, I can assure you that's that's the path right now. That's the best way to go. Yeah. Good advice. Cool. Well thanks so much, Isaac. Good to see you, Nathan. Thank you. And that's it for the show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and leave a rating on your podcast app of choice. Once again, the show is brought to you by Endeavor Labs, a data and AI-focused consultancy run by yours truly. If you have feedback about the podcast or want to talk data, please reach out, Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. Once again, that's Nathan at EndeavorLabs.co. I'll see you next time.